Good morning and welcome. If you would, would you please turn in your Bibles to uh, Revelation 22. Uh, We have arrived at the very end of the book of Revelation. It's been a long ride. I'm not sure exactly when we started. Last October. Oh my goodness, it's been a whole year. Went by quick. But uh, we, we come here to the final part of this book, the last chapter. And I think that uh, when we consider parting words, they're very important. And so John writing here, we want to pick it up in verse 6 uh, through uh, 21. And John says here, uh, regarding the, the angel that had been speaking to him, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And if you have a red-letter Bible... These next, this next verse is red letters, direct words of Jesus. Behold, I am coming quickly, and blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy. Let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to every one according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, we'll explain that later, and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And he says, for I am the root, the offspring of David, King David. And the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. And finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Lord, we uh, have read some of the, Lord, future events that are going to take place, Lord, on this earth, in our world. We don't have any date of when all that is going to take place, Lord, but you have given us some signs, some indications. And we look at many of the things that are going on in our world today, Lord, And we realize, Lord, you could come at any time. And one of the things that, Lord, your word always encourages us to do is to be ready. And Father, I pray for us here. I pray that, Lord, as we, Lord, understand the the truth of your word, that it would impact our life. Lord, help us, we pray to live in such a way, Lord, uh, that's pleasing to you. So we pray, Father, for the, just for the working of your Holy Spirit this morning. You know each one of us. You know everything about us, Lord. Nothing can be hidden from you. You know our past. You know our future. But I pray, Lord, regarding our future, that it would be with you. And Lord, we know that the future begins, begins now. And so, Lord, uh, we thank you that this book is not sealed. It's, It's a revelation. So reveal, Father, to us today, Lord, what we need to know. For, Father, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So even as John writes this 2,000 years ago, this prophecy that will no doubt uh, span this church age, and it will, and it speaks of the ending of this church age and beginning of what we refer to as the millennial reign, um, and the end of, you know, the very end of time as we've been looking at in chapter 21 and 22, which will not only be the end of time as we know it, but the beginning of eternity. Uh, And as we've looked at all these different things, uh, they're to be instructional. One of the things we find about prophecy, as we understand it, the Bible says that it should impact our lives in such a way it should change our lives. Because as we see the things that are going to come upon this world, this earth, uh, some pretty horrific things. You know, we we looked in chapters 14 uh, through 18 and uh, covering the period of Armageddon. Um, a time of horrific judgment uh, upon this earth. Uh, these are times that are certainly going to happen. Um, many people look at the Bible, uh, some of the things that are written in there, and think that they seem to be so far off and so futuristic, um, are so fantastic that they will probably never happen. Uh, but one of the things that we find here is Jesus here signs off on this book 
that he basically uh, reminds us that these are things that will indeed happen. As a matter of fact, he says, things that will shortly uh, take place. Now, as we come to these final words here, uh, we find words of uh, assurance. We we find words of warning. Uh, We find words that are designed to to lead us and to guide us and to direct us. Um, And I think one of the things that uh, is very important as we understand this prophecy, that there'll probably be many people. uh, One of the things that we've, we've looked at early on in this book is that uh, the church has a promise of escaping this horrendous time. Um, but I think as we know that, uh, there are many that we love, um, many folks that perhaps we know that will have to endure and go through this uh, difficult time. And I think it's important, too, as we consider these things, that, um, that we don't just live for this world. We don't just get so focused on the here, the now, and, 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 and as we've said before, that's always a tension. That's always a tension in the life of a believer uh, to live, you know, uh, to live for the kingdom, to live for Christ, uh, to live for things spiritual when uh, we, we've got all these physical demands and responsibilities and duties and things uh, that we have to attend to. But I know that by the grace of God that he will enable us to do that, won't he? Uh, he'll... Uh, as you know, I think when he gives us these insights uh, of the future, these are insights um, that the uh, average person uh, who's basically a non-believer, uh, not a Christian, not a person who reads the Bible, has no idea of what the future holds. Um, and as we get a glimpse into these things, uh, we need to realize that we need to keep a light touch. We need to be very careful that we're not just caught up uh, thinking that uh, this life uh, I think sometimes uh, uh, folks plan for this life like it's never going to end. And we know it's going to end. It's going to end for everybody. Uh, And sometimes it ends very abruptly. Uh, But we need to prepare for eternity. Um, Over in Ecclesiastes, uh, I forget what chapter and verse it is, but uh, the writer there says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And he certainly has done that. Um, the, The mere meditations and considerations and the things um, that we have. We're so different, you know. I know evolution tries to, you know, uh, turn us into uh, glorified monkeys or whatever the case, Uh, but the fact of the matter is we are much different than the animal creation. Uh, The considerations that we make and the things that, you know, the important, the spiritual things that we have in our lives. Now think for a minute how oftentimes we trust people. We trust people that even have taken advantage of us, people that have injured us in some kind of way. We still sometimes have a certain amount of trust, you know, for them. But how much more, I think, when we come to statements in the Bible that we need to put and place our trust uh, in them, and particularly uh, as God speaks about the future. Uh, Many people, when they read these things or hear these things, a lot of times they don't hear them, uh, excuse me, read them. Oftentimes they hear an increment here, an increment there, um, and they use that basically to mock the Bible um, or to state their position of disagreement you know, with the Bible. But the fact of the matter is here, uh, these prophetic statements that we have here, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is guaranteeing their truth and their veracity. You know, it's interesting about prophecy. There are 1,800 prophecies, over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible. And basically, prophecy is history in advance. In other words, God's speaking history before it happens. Um, and there are, let's see, uh, 
um, over 300 prophecies alone that Jesus fulfilled. And if he was to fulfill one prophecy, basically, you know, uh, one, basically one in 48, or f- no, no, 48 only. If he was to fulfill 48 prophecies of over the 300 and some that he did fulfill, the chance factor of that would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. In other words, the chances that Jesus would fulfill 48 prophecies is, is 10 with four, 157 zeros behind it. Uh, there, are, there are scientific guys that have figured these things out. <laughs> you know, the whole chance factor thing. But imagine him filling 300 prophecies alone. But, but the Lord gives, he gives and fulfills prophecy to basically demonstrate the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, I think the Bible is probably often, so often maligned um, and, and mocked and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, all that God says will come to pass. He's guaranteeing it. And, and somebody thinks, well, I don't agree with that. Well, that's too bad. And the person that doesn't agree with it, they're going to be mightily surprised, aren't they? And isn't it interesting how oftentimes when we come to faith in Christ, um, we, we come from this place of unbelief. We come from this, from this place where we don't understand much all about the Bible, but yet we realize that God has something that we need. And so you give your, your, your heart to Christ, then all of a sudden he starts opening up your understanding. Uh, that's why when you stand on this side of the Bible, if you stand on the unbelieving side of the Bible, uh, you're never going to understand it. You're never going to fully understand it. Um, only to a minuscule degree, uh, as perhaps maybe something is, is revealed to you by the Spirit of God, but it's only as you do believe and you put your faith and you trust Him. As I said before, if you're going to read the Bible, you have, to, you have to open that Bible by faith because the very first verse of that Bible says, in the beginning, God. Can you get your brain around that? I still can't. He's never had a beginning. He will never have an end. Nobody, no, no finite understanding can, can mathematically figure that out. You've got, you got to come to that by faith. And that's the way that God has has designed it, that, that we come to him by faith, but then he will, ra- he will just wonderfully encourage and bless and honor our faith and reveal wonderful and awesome things uh, to us. So, verse 6, these words are faithful and true, uh, things which must shortly come to pass. Now, remember when we're in chapter 1, verse 3, there was a special blessing that, that comes to everybody who reads and studies and obeys the instruction in this book. I like what Martin Luther said. He said, I would rather obey than work miracles. What a great statement, huh? How much better it is to obey. What did, what did uh, uh, Samuel say to King Saul? It's better to obey than to sacrifice. And, and as important as sacrificial you know, worship was in the Old Testament, that obedience was, was much, much better. And verse 7 says, what blessed is he or anyone who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So, um, so over this last year, we, as we've been reading this, as we have, as we have s- uh, seen different things that are going to be going to take place and receive personal instruction from that, there's a blessing that takes place. Um, but I think the ultimate blessing we find in this particular part as the Lord signs off 
um, this revelation. Uh, I think there's something very, very, very important, very critical uh, that will, in a sense, amount to the greatest blessing um, for the believer and the one who comes to the Bible and uh, accepts what God says here. Now, in verses 8 and 9, remember John, uh, over in chapter 19, he's kind of rehearsing a mistake that he made, okay? And that is what he fell before the feet of the angel, and he started worshiping. Now, I can't blame John for that. I, I don't blame him because, uh, you know, uh, having that experience with a supernatural being like an angel, that would blow your mind, okay? I mean, any one of us would fall down and, and mistake the angel, you know, for the Lord. And, uh, but here's the, here's the other thing. I think what's even sadder than that in, in human uh, society today is the way people worship other people. The way we put people on a pedestal. Man, we do it politically. You know, we elevate these politicians. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, you elevate some professional person maybe some doctor, and then all of a sudden you find you got a wrong diagnosis or a wrong prescription, whatever the case may be. I, and look what we do in, our, in, in, the, in the music and entertainment world. Man, the adoration, the worship some of these people get, it's, it's, it's tragic. Because you know what? Nobody, nobody can handle that kind of worship. They can't handle that. It's interesting how you know, when that takes place and they get notoriety and they get famous, uh, they have to walk around with sunglasses and a baseball cap on um, because they don't want to be bothered by anybody. And then even in religion, even in religion sometimes, you know, people, I've seen it where, where certain, um, you know, uh, well-known pastors, they're put on a, 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 a pedestal, um, and it can destroy people. I, I've seen that happen. And, it's some, there's some, and, and here's the deal. Here, here's the deal. God has designed us. He's just designed our, our, our human nature. He's designed our spirit. He's designed us to adore and worship Him. But if we don't, we will worship something else. We will worship some material. It's not bowing down. You know, we get this... this um, stereotypical idea of worship is bowing down to some little statue. I know people do that. People, I know people do that. But I think more importantly, it's bowing down to some material object. Now, us men would never know anything about that. We would never do that to cars. I laugh at the guy that has like 30 of them in his garage. And you think he's happy with 30? 30 classics. I know sometimes I thought, if I just want real, oh, like a, like a 65 Corvette Stingray. Yeah, if I had that, yeah, I know. I know I would be happy. I would not be happy. I'd get that, then I'd want a Mustang, and then I'd want a Barracuda, and it would go on and on and on and on. We're designed to worship. And if we don't worship Him who's worthy of our worship, we're going to choose some lesser God. You know, the Bible says that the world is full of false gods. And not that they're, you know, mini-gods, but they're just basically things. Here's a, here's a false god. And here's what people do all the time who don't know the true and the living God, 
is they basically put something on a pedestal that, they, that, that this is what I have to have. I, I can't be happy without this. And so they basically make this thing their God. And, and I like the instruction here, verse 9, uh, that John says, after the angel said, see, not, see that you do not do that, he says, worship God. And what a privilege it is that we have to worship him with our lives, not just as we come here this morning, as, as wonderful as that may be, but, but just to, to, to worship him with the totality uh, of our lives, to glorify, to honor him, to please him. And, and that's the thing. It's not that you can't have cars and bikes or motorcycles and boats and airplanes and all those things, but, but whatever we have, to glorify God with it. I know some people that are very well off, very well off, and, and yet they take what God has given them, uh, and they bless other people with it, and, and they're just basically using the means as tools to honor God and to glorify God with the things that he has imparted to them, and I think that's simply just, that's great advice, worship him, worship the Lord. Now, he says something interesting here in verse 10. Because I've heard this oftentimes. I think it's one of the biggest lies about the book of Revelation. That this book is sealed. You ever hear that? I, a lot of pastors say that. Well, we can't read the book of Revelation. It's sealed. Well, the, 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 the name of it basically tells us that God wants to reveal something to us. That's what apocalypse means in the Greek. That, that's the word apocalypse. But, but it's the revealing of, of truth in the future and also to the revealing of the will of God and of Jesus Christ. He says, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time uh, is at hand. And I think this book has been oftentimes misunderstood, uh, misinterpreted. Um, and what he's saying here is now is the time. Judgment day beckons. Judgment day beckons. I was looking at some statistics. This hour that we spend here, globally, 6,300 people will die in this hour. By the end of this day, 151,000 people will die. A lot of people think that eternity or their demise is so far off in the future. I think in every case, every case, and I'm, I'm convinced of this, in every case when somebody passes, it's always sooner than they think. That's why he doesn't want these words to be sealed. And it's interesting, too, as we started out this book, Revelation, I remember saying this, that, that prophecy, speaking these things about the future, oftentimes has a way of evangelizing people. Because some of the things that are spoken of to take place in the future are happening now in germ form. In a microcosmic way, many of those things are actually taking place. They're like if you ever read uh, A.W. Tozer, they, they called Tozer um, a prophet for his time. And if you ever read his stuff, and he died in 1961, and if you ever read Tozer's stuff, 
It's like he saw what is taking place now. He saw it back then. He saw it like 50 years ago because it was basically taking place in germ form. And the things that are, that are going to take place in the future, they're, they're happening now, but on a much smaller scale. And as we read this book, we realize God begins to show us those particular things. But most, don't, don't misunderstand verse 11. He was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. But he was righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. God gives mankind two roads, two choices, two destinies. I, I think the devil sometimes has tried to complicate that. And you've, you've heard this, all roads lead to God. No, they don't. There's only two roads. Jesus said the, you know, the, the road to him is, is a narrow road. That's why so often people look at, you know, people that ascribe to the Bible. Well, you're being so narrow. And Jesus said the road to destruction is very broad. And, and many go in thereat. Two roads, two choices, two destinies. But the thing is about the Lord is he says he's not willing that any should perish. Oh, oh how God works so hard to illuminate us, to inspire us, to, to get, get us to turn our lives over to him. But what he's saying here in a final kind of sense is that if somebody chooses to be unjust or filthy, if they choose a filthy lifestyle or a perverse lifestyle over purity, that eventually God will ratify that decision. It's not like we commit one sin and then all of a sudden, you know, boom, the hammer falls. Because we all know we're sinners, don't we? See, that's what we have, you know, basically in agreement with every other human being. We've sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. We've, 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 we've had our failures. We've had our setbacks. But because we know him, we can be forgiven. And people need to know that. There's, there's something very damaging about sin in the human spirit and in the psyche. It has a way of just decay and, and decline and deterioration. And, and people don't know that. People simply don't know that. That there's a, there's a kind of a darkness, a pall of darkness that comes into someone's life. And only when Christ comes in can that be lifted. And can there be a new beginning and, and a new life, the life of God, you know, entering into the heart, entering into the life, changing the life. But eventually God, he, he ratifies a decision that a person makes. And we don't know when that is. But see, God knows when that is. God knows when somebody absolutely hardens their heart. Um, there's no more opportunity. Um, they've, they've made their decision to reject God or to re reject God's truth. Um, and, and, and basically, they've made that resolute. And God knows that. Uh, we don't know that. Uh, that's why uh, I think if somebody's alive, I want to you know, share the gospel with them. I want to pray for them. Um, the mere fact that they're alive, I think, perhaps there, there can be hope. Uh, he, again, he's not willing. He's not willing that any should perish. Now, in verse 12, 
And we've seen before this reference to the coming of the Lord. We've been talking about it this, every chapter of this book. But he doesn't just say, behold, I am coming. He says, I, behold, I am coming quickly. He has said it thus far two times. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. You know, at the moment a person dies, their character is sealed for eternity. It's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Reincarnation is the um, creation, I think, of the devil. Because people think, you know, well, I had bad karma in this life, so I get another chance, you know, and uh, get to come back again and um, give it another shot. It doesn't work that way. He gives us one opportunity to receive Christ. And he's patient. He, He gives a person, you know, in a sense, their whole life an opportunity to turn to him and give their life over to him. Somebody once said this, sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. And how true that is. Uh, when you look at someone's life, um, you know, what they invest in, what they sow you know, into their life, what they practice, what they do, uh, it, gets, it's sort of, you know, it gets sort of hardened into a, a kind of a pattern in their life. Um, one of the Old Testament prophets said, sow to the wind and reap to the whirlwind. I think that's what's happening in America today. There's a lot of sowing to the wind. You know, over in Galatians, uh, Paul puts it this way when he says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And then he goes on with a little bit of encouragement. He says, Do not, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not faint or we do not lose heart. You know, the thing of, you know, when you think about uh, you know, God's grace, that he can miraculously enter in at any time and break the power of sin in anyone's life. Didn't he do that for us? You know, a pattern can be pretty strong. We talk about, isn't it amazing that we have so many different, um, within the psychological sciences, so many different addictions? I don't remember all those addictions when I was a kid. But they've, you know, they've been able to put titles to them and identify them, these different conditions. Because human nature is very addictable. Did you ever have an addiction to something? You are all so pure. (laughs) How about chocolate? (laughs) It's easy. It is easy. I want to confess one of my addictions today. Food. (laughs) I I make all these resolutions. And until it gets in front of me, I don't know what happens. I just melt. I do. I make these, you know, and I even pray about them. But something happens when that food gets in front of me. (laughs) What a wimp. (laughs) 
Lord, help. We, we need help. We're, we, give, we, we fall prey to addictions too easily. But I mean, not to, not to just look at that in a light way. I know some people with some really serious addictions um, taking place, you know, in their life. But you know, the Lord can break that. And sometimes I think it's addictions that bring people to Christ. They realize, I can't fix this. I, I think we all have things in our lives that with our, no, with, with our best resolve, we can't fix it. But he's the fixer. He's a savior. He's a helper. He's a rescuer. He's a liberator. He's an emancipator. And much, much more. That's why we need to turn to him. If you know anybody with addictions, you need to talk to them about the Lord. And, the, and those addictions sometimes, they are like a chain destroying people's lives. And we, we see that proliferating throughout our society, within our culture. But we have the answer. Because many of us, at one point in our lives, we were addicted to one thing or the other. I was, I was a teenage alcoholic. Because I grew up in an alcoholic home. And uh, I thank the Lord for his intervention. He will intervene. He'll break that cycle. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, he's saying here basically the Alpha and the Omega, the uh, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's saying, for you, I am the A to Z. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm the first. I'm the last. In other words, what he has begun in your life, he will complete. Remember Paul said over in uh, Philippians 1.6 that he was confident of this. The smartest, wisest thing that you and I can do, any human being can do, is commit your life to Christ. Because he'll care for you. He'll take care of you. And he'll begin a work that he won't just say, well, I'm tired of Ray. This is the tenth time he did that. We were talking about this at the retreat. Boy, there have been things I think I've done 20, 30 times. Isn't God so patient with us? He doesn't say, we do that to people. Well, I'm done with them. You ever say that? <laughs> oh, there are some people that they deserve that. I'm done with them. But God doesn't say that. He's so good. He's so kind. He continues to work. And here's how the blessing comes. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. We talked about that last week. We're not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, and may enter through the gates into the city that is the new Jerusalem. Now, some folks say that character and integrity are the most important thing. And you know what? I agree. I agree with that. But also, too, it's important that we don't stop there. Because you know why? Real faith, true faith, has action. It's not just the possessing of 
character and, and integrity, but it's also to, you know, as James says, real faith produces something. If we really know Christ, our life is going to be producing something. The, the psalmist wrote it this way, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. There needs to be the, the action of following and obeying his word, his truth within our lives. Well, here we come to that verse. Outside are dogs. He's not speaking of Fido and Fluffy. You know he's speaking of? People that live like dogs. Now, we all love our dogs. But I wouldn't want people... Some, Mike's shaking his head. No, I don't love my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bear witness to Mike I've had dogs like that too I'm <laughs> but there the, the, he's basically referring to people that live like animals there's an animal life eat sleep have sex Lay around, do nothing all the time. That's the things that always bug me about my pets. They never work for anything. <laughs> Lay around, shed hair, <laughs> and then stand there, sit there at the table and drool while I'm eating. But this is a lifestyle of just you know, living for the flesh, the animal life. Again, he's not speaking of, of those who are outside the walls of the New Jerusalem, you know, like dogs barking. In other words, these are outside of the blessing of God totally. They're in outer darkness. Sexually immoral. Uh, sorcerers, I missed that one. Remember, we, we talked about that word. It's drug usage. It's the word where we get the word pharmacy. Greek word because it was originally potions were originally drugs were originally used in, in the occultic practices and it's interesting too isn't it you know we've come to the point in human society where there's a whole drug culture and sad to say that today alone what was interesting in 2016 this really struck me because of my Vietnam connection. More people died of drug overdoses in 2016 than died in the 10-year war of Vietnam. I heard that just heard that just a couple of days ago. Of course, I told you my sister died of heroin overdose, heroin infection. My heart was really broken. I shared this last week in one of the services. 
I was going through some slides, <clears throat> and I came across a slide I couldn't quite detect that somebody was getting baptized. So I brought it in the church where I had a big magnifying glass, and I looked at it, and it was my sister. 1976. And, she, and the pastor was just pulling her up out of the water. She had such a beautiful look on her face. It's sad what these things, how, what happens to people. Verse 16. Of course, this is a signature statement by Jesus, giving it the stamp of his authority. For I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. He's the beginning of David, and he's the branch of David. (laughs) The Messiah. The bright and morning star. You know, the morning star, you know what it does? It, It comes up like two hours Uh, in the eastern sky before the day begins, and it signals a new day. Jesus Christ, his coming, (laughs) he's the bright and morning star, it signals a new age. And this age, my friends, and you can take this to the bank, this age will end very soon. This this age that we have now, it will end. Even if it's 50 years, it's going to end very soon. And that's why I don't put all your eggs in the basket of this life. There's a glorious and wonderful age that's coming. Margie's mom just died two weeks ago. We went down to PA to the funeral and all the arrangements. She was 93. And you know what? In the light of eternity, she was a pup. She was a pup. And sometimes we just feel like some old dog, don't we? But you're going to get a new life. It's going to get a new body. It's going to be glorious. Don't waste your time trying to just fix up this old house. The more I try to fix it, the more rickety it feels like it becomes. I've just purposed now that October's here, I'm getting into the gym again. I said that last year. I just don't think it improved all that much, you know. And I hung in there for the fall, the winter, the spring, and all the... One time, one Sunday morning, I opened up a brand new pack of underwear. 
This is not going too far, so let me just, okay. <laughs> and it was fruit of the loom. I only buy the best. And it had the letters FTL on it. And I turned to Margie and said, honey, look, fear the Lord. And she said, no, it isn't. She, she says it means fatter than last year. <laughs> She was right. <laughs> and the spirit and the bride say, come. Okay, clear that out of your mind. You know we're fallen. It's the things that stay in our minds. Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirst come. Whoever desires to let him take the water of life freely. Now, this here is the final invitation in the Bible. Final invitation that he grants, that he gives. And it's interesting that from the Old Testament through the whole Bible, the Lord is saying, come. Open invitation. And I've said this before. A person may live their whole life rejecting God or the Bible and living in unbelief, saying it isn't true. But do you know what? One minute after they die, they are a believer. Why not believe now? That's finding out the hard way. You know, for any one person, eternity is a heartbeat away. Eternity is no, far, no further than the day of one's death. It's only a heartbeat away. And people just, even Christians, we you know, put it off, oh yeah, the, 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 the great by and by. We never know when it's going to happen. It's only a heartbeat away. So the Lord says, come. Now, in verses 18 and 19, he gives basically a warning. I think this is really applicable to spiritual authorities, Bible teachers and priests and pastors. And it's to those who deliberately distort or take away from the meaning of the Bible. doesn't mean you can't comment on these things. But if anyone adds to these words, God will add to him the plagues written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book, prophecy of the book, God will take away his place from the book of, from the book of life. He who testifies to these things, saying, third time, surely I am coming quickly, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, John says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. So the third time we have here this this. Reminder, I am coming quickly. Because God sees things from the eternal perspective. Like I said, 
Eternity is only a heartbeat away for any one of us. And I think this is the overall theme of the Bible. The Lord is coming. He came. He came once. That was the whole theme of the Old Testament. The whole theme of the New Testament is looking forward to his return, to his coming. And I hope, like John, that we can say that too. Even so, come quickly. Can we say that? I think we need to say that. I think that needs to be a part of our theology. No, not wait. I got some more things I got to do. <laughs> I remember talking to a young couple about this and uh, about, you know, having that kind of a theology of the imminent return of Christ and even so come quickly. And he said, can the Lord wait till we get married? <laughs> So I gave him some marital advice. You're better off right now if the Lord came. <laughs> A lot less fights and arguments you're going to have. Well, let's close with that. What's that? <laughs> Margie's not here. <laughs> Nobody better tell on me, okay? No, that's where grace comes in, right? That's where grace covers all things. Lord, we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for the grace, Lord, that you have, Lord, granted to us. And Lord, you're coming much quicker than we really do think. And I pray for each and every one of us here this morning that, Lord, if that that question mark of our eternity, Lord, needs to be settled. That you'd help. Help us, Lord. Help each and every one. Lord, you're not willing that any should perish. Lord, you went to the cross. Lord, to pay the penalty, our sin penalty, our sin debt. And then you rose from the grave. Lord, to demonstrate who you were. And so we thank you, Lord, and we call upon, Lord, your resurrection power, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, bless, I pray, your people as they go. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen.